For the institution to thrive, the community that it's surrounded by needs to thrive as well. Welcome to Drexel's 10,000 Hours Podcast. Our goal is to mine the stories behind our region's innovators, inventors, and thought creators. We'll be talking to experts in subjects from fashion to neuroscience to find out what lies behind the passion for their work, the inspiration for their ideas, and the motivation for their creativity. I'm your host, Maurice Baynard. Jen Kibbe is the executive director of the Lindy Center for Civic Engagement and an instructor at Drexel University. She has spent her career in education and nonprofit management. Jen stopped by to discuss what it means for universities to be truly engaged with the people and places, problems and potential they share with those outside of their own institution. Tell me about yourself and tell me about where you grew up. Yeah, so I grew up in Conshohocken, small, well, it's not a small, well, it's a decent-sized suburb outside of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, grew, I lived there my entire young life until I went to college, yeah. um, which, you know, I went right down the street to Chestnut Hill College, exactly seven minutes away from my family home. Yeah. Um, so how did you make a decision, Esther? Like, you know, when you decided to go to college 10 yeah, minutes away, yeah. seven minutes away. Yeah, seven minutes away. How did you make that call? How did I make that call? That's a really good That's a really good. Um, question. You know, I, so my parents who are both college educated, but they're a little non-traditionally college educated. My mom is a nurse. And at that point in time, it was very much like vocational school. So you went, that's what you did. There wasn't a whole lot to decide. My father went to college as an adult. So he was with, my older brother was born and he was going to college. So that was a different pathway. So when it was time to kind of coach us, I think they looked at me and said, you know, she's got this, she can figure it out. Here I, here I only applied to one college. Really? (laughs) I did. You you were really confident. I guess. um, What did you major in? So I was a bio major, biology okay. major. Yep. And with a goal of what? Uh, the goal that just about all bio majors have to go to medical school. You know, that was the goal. That Absolutely. was the end goal. My and? mother was a nurse. You know, I was going to be a doctor. That was the plan. Yeah. You know, it was, yeah. I mean, I did fine for a while, but I think it was actually Calc 2. I, first time around, got a D. Yeah. No, D plus. I got a yeah. D plus. And I was like, I got to do better. It was okay. I, I could have still kind of moved forward with it. Uh, but I took it again and I got a D. <laughs> so. so there you are with your D yeah, my in D. hand in this existential crisis. Yep, absolutely. I, I, I could take this class for a third time. For a third time. At this point, I was a junior. Because, yeah. So I, <laughs> and I had all the other credits. I could absolutely get the degree in biology, but I was not med school bound. That was right. not Or I could me. choose to do something else. Something else. So, so what do you do? Yeah, while all of that was percolating along, probably what kept me from learning how to study was the fact that I was so involved in all of these extracurriculars in college. So I was student government president. I was yearbook editor, you know, ran all these other student orgs. And I was devoting my time to that. And right. and so, and I learned a lot from that. I learned a lot of leadership skills. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about how to interact with other people, um, both my peers, but also faculty and people outside the institution. And, you know, I kind of, I, I soon there realized that, wow, there's a lot of people here working. This is their job. They're here at the university supporting students. This is a career path. Um, it's almost the classic higher ed career path story. You don't even know the field exists until you're immersed in it. Right. You, um, you go to college and you either fall in love with the thing that you're studying or the people who deliver what you're Absolutely. Studying. And the place that you're at and, yeah. you know, this, this, this space of kind of eternal learning and, you know, really just, um, yeah. And, and I did, I, I, 
didn't want to leave. So, so I didn't, (laughs) I I graduated and rolled right into an admissions job at that school. Um, Were you surprised that they hired you? You were no. like, of course they're going to hire yes. me. Yes. Again, run, that, that I've run everything around here. I am Ms. <laughs> Chestnut Hill. That ridiculous self-confidence. I don't know where it came from. But I, yes, I didn't think I thought I would be fine. So it's really interesting. It makes me think about the fact that many of us sort of start on this career path, yeah. especially when you go to college and you think you know what you want to do. But then you find yourself pulled into all of these other things, student government and mm-hmm. you know running trips and standing up new organizations. Do you think – that that's telling you something? Did you think at the time that in some ways it was saying that your skills lied elsewhere? Probably. You know, I think that discernment, though, being able to piece that together and understand that, you know, your skills are not in the laboratory. You can fuddle your way through that, but that's Mm. not who you are. You're a people person. You're supposed to be interacting with folks. You're supposed to be thinking about other types of uh, success. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's a discernment that I don't know that many, too many 18 to 20-year-olds are very good at putting together. Took a while. Took me a little while, for sure. So there you are on campus with your first campus job. Yeah. Wait, and you're in the... Admissions office. In in admissions. What's your job? Yeah, so I was an admissions counselor, and so I traveled um, locally. They didn't really send us too far to recruit other students to come to the school. I also um, planned all the on-campus events. So I started planning, you know, um, open houses and recruitment events and, you know, uh, days for accepted students and things of that sort. So, you know, I got that ability to think about... um, Event management, really high level of detail, all of that kind of stuff to bring those kinds of things together, which uh, was a lot of fun for for a while. Yeah, for a while. For a while. So something happened. Yeah. So I was there for, gosh, I guess I was there for two and a half or three years. And I transitioned. I went into a different department in the university, also planning events. I went to the other end of the university, alumni relations, right. so thinking about that space. Really, It was really part of institutional advancement and thinking about fundraising events. So everything from their annual fundraisers to alumni weekend to everything in between, donor recognition events. Um, so again, lots of event planning. You're So you're still there at Chestnut Hill. Yeah. But you, I feel like this story has taken a, f- a couple of beats. Okay. So, but th- you don't stay there. No, I don't. So I, I was there in total. I'm trying to think. I guess it was maybe four years in total, two years in admissions, maybe two years in um, in institutional advancement. And I knew higher ed was my space. I was mm-hmm. just rolling out of my master's degree program. So, um, and I took a job with Campus Philly, which is an organization still exists in Philadelphia. It was pretty new at that time. Um, their mission really centers around recruiting, engaging, and retaining college talent in the area in Philadelphia. Right. This was at the height of the conversation around brain drain in big cities, that students came to big cities, Boston, Philadelphia, D.C., for school, and then they left. Yeah, how do we keep them yeah. around after they graduate? How do we keep them here in Philadelphia? Yeah. And and, um, and so I was working in that space really um, on the retention end of the side of this, the, the spectrum. How do we uh, make sure that companies are going to hire our college-educated talent? How, how are we making sure that they're ready to accept those students into their workforce? Um, and, and so uh, that was kind of the space that I worked in and tucked into my responsibility was also a community engagement portfolio. So yeah. thinking about really how do we um, apply that lens as well into the work. How'd you make your way back into a college setting? Yeah, so... Uh, Every job I've ever gotten has always been through connection. And I, I always point that out to students, too, that it's, you know, it's the rare person who sends the resume into the job funnel that, you know, gets hired. Yeah. And so through my work with um, Campus Philly, I had the opportunity to really connect with 41 different institutions in the greater Philadelphia region. You know, we have about 93, five institutions in the greater Philadelphia. We institutions are of higher, All over the place. <laughs> yeah. And so right. Campus Philly had this great 
uh, list of member institutions. And Drexel was really a great partner at that point in time. So we were partnering on job fairs. We were partnering on, um, you know, bringing different different um, different groups to campus. And and I got to work with, at that point in time, it was the Center for Civic Engagement at Drexel. So I got to work with them on um, on a, a nonprofit leaders fair we put together at that point in time, um, you know, thinking about the nonprofit track as a career mm-hmm. pathway. Um, and, and so I got to really know the director at that point in time. His name is Dan Doherty of the, of the Center for Civic Engagement. And within months, I was here working. So, yeah. <laughs> so I mean... So a lot of people have heard of civic engagement, but they probably couldn't give you a good definition. So So how do you operationalize it? That's a great, great question. And, you know, and and if you were to look up, if you're at Google right now, civic engagement, you could find 20 different definitions, many of them academic in nature. Um, And, and, you know, civic engagement, though, really is about bringing communities together, bringing people together Mm. around problem solving around identifying issues of shared concern, shared importance, and and thinking together about how to to move forward. Um, I mean, that's really what we think about when we talk about civic engagement. We have lots of people who conflate it with volunteerism. That's part of it, for sure. Some people conflate it with activism. That's a part of it as well. You know, voting engagement, all of that is part of civic engagement. But really how you show up as a community actor um, is is really the, the encompassing piece. So now what's your role? Today, today, here at Drexel. Yeah, so now I lead what is now the Lindy Center for Civic Engagement. So we're a named center after the uh, Phil Lindy, um, and uh, yeah, and I lead a team of six full-time staff. We think about four core areas of the work: really um, community-based learning. We think about um, civic leadership. How do we engage students in leadership tracks to, to think about their civic development? We think about public service and also community partnerships. Um, those are those are the four core areas of the Lindy Center's work. Man, so there are two things I really like to highlight. One is from your from your lens in the classes that you've taught and the students that you've engaged. What are what's a great example that you've seen of civic engagement? Yeah. Like if you were going to point to something that you've seen. Here in Philadelphia, you go, that's exactly what we're talking about. What we're looking at, yeah. Maybe it's helpful if I back up a little bit and talk about how Drexel thinks about civic engagement. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Would that be helpful? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I, I've been here personally since 2009. And um, in 2010, Drexel got a new president. John Fry rolled into town. Um, and, and during his first speech to the university, he wasn't even inaugurated yet. It was convocation in, in October of 2010. He addressed the university. He was a convocation speaker. And it was the first time the university was hearing from him. He could have used that platform to identify any number of issues that were important to him and that he hoped to advance during his presidency. But he used that time to talk about um, his vision for Drexel to become the most civically engaged university in the nation. Mm. And he not only used those words, um, he also backed it up with a framework and what he thought that meant. Um, and there are three components to really what what engaged universities uh, in his mind look like. Um, you know, first, the idea of academic integration. How do we leverage one of Drexel's biggest resources, all of our connections into the academy. So research, clinical practice, teaching, um, really to solve public problems. How do we really line that all up? So that's a space that higher ed had classically been in, you know, thinking about community-based learning classes, service learning classes, community-based research, all of that, um, you know, had certainly been in, in, in place. But how do we do that 
you know, here at Drexel more fully. The second space, really um, the, the public service and volunteerism space, another classic space for a higher ed institution to, to mobilize in. How do we mobilize our people, our students, our faculty and staff to, you know, really address, um, you know, public service needs? So that's another area. Um, and the third space, really at that point in time, you know, now 10 years ago, um, was somewhat still new in higher ed, the idea of institutional investment. Mm-hmm. So how does the university align um, its purchasing power, the way that it hires, builds, develops real estate, the way that it um, procures goods and services, really to impact our local community, which we are so inextricably linked to. Um, and that, at that point in time, you know, there were there were talk across the nation about anchor institutions, but it was still kind of new. And for Drexel to be coming out with really this comprehensive strategy, that these are not three disparate areas, but we're going to think about how they all combine and how we all think about these areas together. Um, was, was pretty new. Um, and it really put us on the map um, as an institution in terms of our commitment to this space. What do you think was in the water at the time that um, institutes of, institutions of higher learning decided they could no longer sort of live as these white elephants in the middle of big urban areas, but they had to become integrated in a real way and even leverage their power to improve their neighborhoods Absolutely. and neighborhoods? Yeah. So, you know, you're you're exactly right that for the longest time institutions were these ivory towers. You know, many of them literally had fences around them, and 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 with an aim of keeping their students in and everybody else out. And yeah. and in some settings, you know, th- that might not be so scrutinized. If you have an institution that's off by itself somewhere on a hillside, okay, fine. You know, but Drexel is in a community. We sit in a community, um, and and I and. And it's a very, it's a diverse community for sure. You know, we have Palatine Village, we've got Mantua, we've got several other neighborhoods in West Philadelphia. Um, and, and starting to think about the inequity that exists in a, in a lot of instances, I think I think that might have been part of it for sure. But I, I think underneath all of that, it's, it's also shared mutual self-interest. For the institution to thrive, the community that it's surrounded by needs to thrive as well. Yeah. And so thinking about yeah. really how do we rise all boats, if that's possible, yeah. you know, um, how do we start to think about, you know, making pathways for um, really community success? And, and these communities have such incredible assets, incredible histories, incredible community plans and visions for themselves. So how do we start to line up with that and think about really shared futures together? So what does the Lindy Center hope for every graduate of Drexel? Yeah. What do you hope they all take away? That they all take away, yeah. That no matter, again, what their lens is in life, you know, what their professional lens is, what their political view is, you know, that they are um, ready to be informed active citizens engaged in, in issues that are important to them, that they have that, um, that you know, self-awareness and also self-efficacy to be engaged in, 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 you know, in their communities, wherever they choose to live and kind of however they choose to engage. Um, yeah, that, that's my hope. You know, I, I often think that people in, in human-centered um, careers yeah. are technically trying to work themselves out of a job, right? Mm, if you yes, work in, absolutely. If you work in homelessness, you hope that yep, there'll be a day when you don't, you're, job. you don't have a job. Absolutely. Do you see your job? Day? Like, is that philosophically your goal? Yeah. That one day you don't need a center to encourage engagement, diversity, and inclusion because it's baked into what we do and who we are. Yeah, that is such a good point. I think – in some instances, the Drexel's commitment to civic engagement broadly, we absolutely want to see it um, 
you know, reverberated across the institution so that we're not the center pushing it out all the space. So each college and school kind of has it within their own ethos and their own commitments. Um, that's absolutely a goal. Um, while I don't anytime soon see, see us kind of out of, out of work because there, I mean, there's so much of, again, that human centered piece that we do bring into the mix. Um, what I have seen over the last 10 years is such a shift in our students and really what they're, um, what they already are coming prepared to talk about and what they've kind of already been active in. And, and I mean, these Gen Z students are so um, close to community issues and they know where they stand and they know their political viewpoints and they know who they are as a person. 10 years ago, I don't know that students, at least here at Drexel, you know, I'm only talking in the context of what I've seen here. Um, we're, we're of that ilk, you know, so yeah. it's really interesting to see that shift. That gives me so much hope. Do you think, so it's, much hope. It's, do you think it's about the state of the world and sort of, the ether that they've grown up in? Absolutely. A absolutely. I totally agree with you that students are growing up with, with a lot of these contexts, literally in, in their very, very existence as they're growing up, whether they're getting this context from the media or from their families or from their K to 12 education, you know, absolutely. I mean, they're coming here with such a critical lens, yeah. especially in the sustainability space, but many other spaces as well. So what is your hope for our institution 10 years from now? Yeah, I can, I really hope that we continue to aim to authentically engage with community, that we realize our privilege in this space and we use it for good. Um, yeah, I think that we as an institution need to get more ingrained in the conversation around race and equity and inclusion and diversity and what that means um, here at Drexel and Philadelphia and in the broader nation. Uh, I think that's really a really important conversation to be ha had. Um, yeah, and, and I hope we, um, you know, I think we also need as an institution more broadly to make sure we're right-sizing a lot of these approaches uh, to ensure our sustainability. I mean, there's also that piece as well. Yeah. What's the toughest question you've ever been asked in your role? Oh, gosh, toughest question. Um, hmm. I'm assuming that there are a lot of rooms that you're in with really diverse yeah. people yeah. and ideas. Of course. People coming from different positions. And that somebody... You know, zings you with something that you're something just tough. not ready. Yeah, for to sure, answer. sure. You know, so, some of those conversations happen in community spaces where people yeah, ask, you know, yeah, what, you know, what, what is Drexel really doing? What's really your motivation behind? Oh, this we totally work? want to get this you one. Know? Hold on, hot <laughs> yeah. mic. So yeah. allow me. Yeah. But what is Drexel really doing? Yeah. So that's a, that's a great. <laughs> that's a great question, and one I've been asked. You know, and and I think to be really transparently honest. It, this is the work that we're doing in communities is not altruistic. You know, it is not meant um, to just do, we're not doing it out of the depths of our heart. You know, some people are, I am, you know, <laughs> but, um, but Drexel is interested in really shared mutual self-interest. Our community here at Drexel will, will thrive if our surrounding community is thriving. So how do we really bring our shared futures together and really line up all of those goals? Where are the synergies? Where are the, um, you know, the wins that will cross both of our, you know, our, our spaces and how, that, we, how that would we know though like what are we, what are we trying to measure yeah I'm, I'm assuming that what that wind that fills our sails might not be mm -hmm. necessarily the same sail filling wind 
absolutely people in our community for sure you know so um this is a little this is broader than the lindy center's work we think about university community partnerships at drexel and and, and that unit um which i'm part of uh has other components our dornsife center for neighborhood partnerships which is a great community engagement center on 35th and spring garden here mm -hmm. in our community we've got a whole um, education strategy and a whole economic development strategy people working in all of those spaces so in that work, um, Drexel has articulated what we're really calling our cradle-to-career pipeline. So um, there are inputs that Drexel and other partners um, are contributing to um, everything from early child care um, support all the way through to um, really workforce opportunities for people's, people in our communities. Um, and it's a, it, you know, on paper, it looks beautiful. You yeah. know, it's this beautiful stacked experience yeah, with lots of different inputs. But the question comes to, are we really changing people's lives? Are yeah. we getting people jobs? Are jobs that are not just jobs, but jobs that are family sustaining and have a future, you Absolutely. know, um, and, and thinking about what that looks like. You know, the, the vision that we hold and we can see, you know, a child born into Mantua, you know, are they going to have access to a quality K-8 education? Well, even before that, quality child care, quality K-8 education. Are they going to be able to go to a high school of choice and then access a job in this Schuylkill Yards innovation economy that is being built adjacent to Drexel? Right. Um, will that, you know, will that pipeline hold? Um, and in the meantime, you know, over the next 20 years, while that student's progressing through that space, you know, how have we supported their parents? How have we supported their nuclear family, their community? Um, you know, how have we, you know, looked at all of the health indicators of healthy communities and, and tried to contribute in those spaces? Um, but the critical question is, you know, are all of those goals lined up with what our communities want to do? Yeah, you yeah. know, and that's something we consistently need to revisit and reimagine and, and kind of you know, double check. If you yeah. had to grade us on what we were doing right now, just by effort. Yeah, by effort. Yeah. yeah. What would you give us? So effort, I mean, we're putting a lot of resources into this. I'd give a strong, I'd give, you know, a B plus, I'm a hard grader. There you <laughs> are. B, B plus, you know. Um, yeah, effort. You know, in terms of outcomes, yeah, Yeah. I think we're still middle of the road. I yeah. think we're, we still have a lot what of work to do. What are barriers to success right now? Yeah, you know, I, I think, um, I come back to this idea of, of harm and and then hmm. how institutions of higher education have classically historically left a lot of harm in the communities that they're working in you know and and that doesn't heal overnight you know it does not yeah. heal overnight at all do you have a sense of what those actual what that actual harm looked like on the ground oh the sure i mean in in high, sure from whether uh, land grabs through eminent domain, right, so through, you know, displacement. displacement abs I mean, absolutely. Thinking about, I mean, the way that property values just flux, yeah. um, the way communities are turned over. Even in, here in West Philadelphia, you, you kind of drive through some of our adjacent neighborhoods, and so many of these kind of big, beautiful homes have been subdivided and turned into stu student housing and will never be appropriate for a family to live in. Right. Um, and what does that do to neighborhoods? What does that <laughs> What does that mean? Students are, um, I, I joke with students, and when I, I, like, you're the worst neighbors ever. <laughs> you know? and, and it's not intrinsically their fault. Their schedules are just so different. Right. Um, you know, they're up late. They have, they're socially active. Right. So you know, like, what does that look your like? Your average college student is up and playing bad. music and yeah. dragging the streets <laughs> and getting pizza at 2 a.m. Absolutely. But his neighbors might 
might have be, a baby might, and they might want to go to bed. Yeah, because they got to be up at 6 a.m. Yeah, to go to work. Absolutely. You know, college students forget to take their trash out or, yeah. you know, it st- stacks up or for some reason the mattress ends up on the lawn. You know, I mean, there's that all happens of, all the time. <laughs> happens all the time. <laughs> and yeah, and in communities that, you know, are are tight, they're literally tight. Um, ha- what, is that, what does that do to communities? And so um, we've had some of those conversations with students, critical conversations about being a good neighbor and what that looks like and engaging with, you know, folks... Uh, in your neighborhood. Uh, it's a conversation you have to have every year. Dr. Jennifer johnson Keeping. thank you for being on the 10,000 oh, Hours. Thank you so much. Drexel's 10,000 Hour Podcast is hosted by me, Maurice Baynard. Our producers are Sean Fitzpatrick and Nathan Barrett. Drexel's 10,000 Hour Podcast is powered by Drexel University Online.